evening, everyone, and welcome to this latest uh, author Q&A from Indic Book Club. And we do this uh, every two weeks. And this week, this Saturday, I'm delighted to have, uh, I'll not use a cliche, but I'll still say he is uh, perhaps the youngest person I've uh, uh, had the opportunity and the honor of interviewing and talking to, uh, D.V. Sridharan, who began life before India was independent. And he started out as a marine engineer, in the 1960s and uh, then gave it up uh, to pursue other things. And then uh, a very interesting thing happened about 20 years back, around about the time that the, in, that the internet and the World Wide Web specifically was starting to boom in India. And uh, what he did then resulted uh, not only in a website, but uh, specifically what we are going to talk about is uh, it resulted in this book, Good News India, and it is a collection of stories of uh, the incredible journeys and the efforts and the initiatives taken up by people across the length and breadth of the country and which DVG himself went to, met the people, saw the work they did, interviewed the people, took photographs uh, and posted them on his website, none, no less, website 20 years back. Uh, so, uh, and this book has been published a few months back by Bloomsbury India. And we are going to talk about not only the book and some of the stories in there, but uh, since this is the Indic Book Club, uh, we will make this uh, much more wider ranging than that. But I cannot, uh, uh, you know, I cannot uh, start without talking about book in itself. So before I begin, a very, very warm welcome to this Q&A DVG. Thank you, Abhinav. Feels an honor. You're a published author of a book which I hugely enjoyed. So it feels doubly delightful that you should be taking time to interview me. I truly feel very important. Thank you for the introduction. But you are, but you are. It's my honor and privilege to talk to you. Now, I'm, I, I want to apologize to people, but I'm not going to go through this in a very chronological, linear manner. So I want to ask you. What happened in 2000 that led you down this journey of uh, creating this website? And, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell people that uh, what you, uh, you quoted Nirazi Chaudhary, I think, and you said that, you know, in amongst, now here's the thing what I, that I find a little bit interesting, right? So today in the world, in the age of social media, right, we keep hearing uh, that uh, social media tends to amplify negative news and there is so much of negativity that is being spread about India. But if you go back two decades, was that still the case? Because the World Wide Web was still starting out. Hardly any, very, very few Indians were online. Social media didn't exist. So what led you to... To, to come to the conclusion that there was negativity and that it had to be countered through actual live, real life stories, inspirational stories about Indians? That's a, that's a terrific question, Abhinav. I hadn't thought about it, but as you are framing the question, it occurred to me uh, in 2000, when I set out to battle the lack of good news, uh, I thought that I was doing a uh, um, enormous, uh, it, was a, it seemed like an enormous feat for me to be trying and doing that. But now that you've put it in the context of social media that you just mentioned, my effort pales into insignificance, you see. I think in spite of the 
55,000 or 60,000 kilometers that I drove around myself and I created the website, wrote all the stories. I'm not able to cope with this present day social media barrage of uh, nasty news from the comfort of my chair. I could go through all the hardships and feel as though I had really was doing something extraordinary. But then this really makes me, the current context makes me feel very, very weak and unnerved, in fact. I'll come to it presently. But uh, going back uh, to my goodness, India, probably the six years have formed the best slice of my life because it gave me a life again. Uh, having <laughs> completely lost myself, thanks entirely to myself and my vanity and my uh, sense of uh, being what a smart to be. And I went through that phase. And I only did not come what they say that you go on the samskaras, you have to do that. One of the stages in life that you have to be a communist for a while before you can be reformed. I didn't go through that phase. Luckily, I missed that. But in spite of it, I made a hard job of my life in trying to identify myself. So those six years of uh, good news India, I gave me some sanity. So I will expand on it as you ask me, but to just sum up an answer to the question that you just asked, well, good luck to the people who take out their lances and mount their horses and try and fight the war in the social media. Good luck to them, friends. It's a hard, mean lot out there. It is. It is without a doubt. And I think there's a there's some amount of, uh, of uh, perverse satisfaction to be derived from putting down the trolls that are out there. But uh, yours was a very different journey. And I couldn't help but uh, admire, and I also had a smile as I was reading, that, see, again, uh, in the year 2000, none of the none of the aids that we now are, uh, we take for granted uh, that help you know, make the job of creating a website or a blog, if you will, very easy. In those days, essentially, you had to do everything. And you even talked about uh, uh, purchasing a digital camera in those days. And <laughs> I have to tell you, you uh, you beat me to it by a good three years, at least. I think I didn't purchase my first digital camera till the year 2003. And, you know, the, the, the technophile in me just wants to hear a little bit about that story of, you know, how you ended up creating this website and how did you figure things out when, when frankly, I mean, we take the internet for granted, but the fact is that 20 years back, there was still, despite the fact that search engines existed, we didn't have a whole lot of, a, you know, how-to information available on the net, if one, even if one tried. See, I think uh, they say that uh, people, when they fall in love, love at first sight, they do extraordinary things, you see. And I fell in love with the internet the first time. And it used to be the most inaccessible uh, exotic, uh, mystic experience to go on the internet. And there used to be, I don't know, you're too young to know that, and, uh, from a perch of 79 years, I can recall. And there used to be something called internet cafes. They were well, like the course. upmarket spas of today. Of course. They're snooty spas. There was one near the Savera Hotel in um, Chennai, and that was the talk of the town, and the weekly pages of newspapers used to write about Internet spa has arrived. Then I thought that I had to go there wearing a necktie. It was almost like entering an exclusive club. 
So finally, one day I managed it was 250 rupees an hour to browse the internet. Oh my God. So I put the money together and I got down slightly unnerved. And I realized that I had every reason to have been unnerved. It was snooty. It opened the door, opened in a flush of cold air, hit my face. And a man welcomed me as though to an exclusive club. He seated me. And then he served me a coffee with a saucer and a napkin on top with a hot coffee. So you wait until a station is free, he said. So I was waiting as though that I was being in a beauty parlor waiting for my turn. And then he came like a good ballet. He led me to a chair and then my meter started. Then I began with a mild panic that my one hour and my 250 rupees was running down. And then I went in and then there I was, just like flying in the sky. And, and then there used to be two browsers which are nearly dead, long live the dead. It was Internet Explosor and Network uh, Cruiser. Netscape Cruiser, I think it's Netscape Mariner Navigator. These were the ones. So there's a huge choice to be made, which is better. They used to say that the future of the Internet and the electronic communication is decided, is going to be decided between Netscape and Microsoft. This was the war. They said the ultimate war. After that, there's no life. It was all simple, plain ground. So we are all watching that. So then I think I chose. I don't know why I didn't like Microsoft even in those days. I was not yet a Mac man. Now I'm a dedicated, committed Mac man. I chose the Netscape Navigator. It had a nice things of a helmsman. So because I'd been at sea, at sea so I chose that, I think. So then I started browsing, and then, my God, it was love at first sight. I must compliment myself when I said, this is it. This is what the world is going to be. And then even an unrequited author and a writer, I'd never been published before, I took heart and courage in my hand and said, now I can write, have a website and put my writing there. There was no editor to sit with a red pencil over what I wrote. So I can write and survive my by being read or not being read. So I came home and how do I start? So I went and learned the cutting edge technology of those days, HTML coding. You have no idea. I know you're a tech man. Please stifle your laughter. Uh, I taught how to do HTML coding. And gee, I put out my first page on the internet. And you have no idea how it worked. You created a page, the HTML code. Then you had what is called an FTP uploader. So you had to take that file. You should have created a website in the first place. And that set me back by about say 3000 rupees to set up a first website. In those days. Have the, have the domain name. And that was the network something that used to, there used to be a high priest of the entire internet world sitting in America somewhere. Network solutions, I think it was called, yeah. So he was the presiding deity with the, to allow a space in the internet. Like today, you go to go and establish a place in Moon to register your address on the internet. So you had to go to network solutions and apply for a domain name. I have it, I could frame it and put it on my wall. So goodnewsindia.com was a place of my own. And then I learned how to upload my stories. 
Now, the thing is, this is a very interesting thing. I think I'm not, I hope I'm not wasting the time of the young audience who are not likely to have known those days, but they might be interested in this as a trivia. So suppose I had a page and I uploaded it after a long time. You had also a monster called the dial-up connection. You could log on to anything. So the BSNL oh, yes. would give you a dial-up thing. And then there was a time before the Windows was invented. I think the windows had just come in. I think maybe just come in. I'm not so Correct. sure. Correct. No, windows 95 a, came uh, out uh, a few years before that. Yeah, I, I remember I distinctly working on a DOS system, Microsoft DOS, I don't know what it was called. It had a blinking carrot on the black screen. Yes. And then you had to go to the uh, BSNL site and log in, and you had the blood curdling sound of noises that came. And you know you are ascending the heaven, but you did not know whether you'll reach it. Now, coming back uh, to uh, uh, you know to to our question, so how how did you uh, uh, what did it take for you to go to these places? Because again, you know, when I talk of two thousand. People have to remember the highways weren't as uh, you know good as they are today. You know the Golden Quadrilateral project had just been announced, and there was not a single highway in India that had been converted into the four-lane you know highways that we today know. And the airline industry was in a state of turmoil uh, for 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 a variety of reasons. How did you travel to these places? Oh, I decided the only way to do it. I could have taken trains, but uh, most of my heroes that I wanted to do, they were not at railheads. They were living in villages in far from places. There were some in the cities, of course. So the railway was not the, uh, trains were not the most practical thing, and they were the chief thing. So I decided to buy myself a car, and I sold a piece of land, <laughs> myself a car, which uh, cost only about 20 or 30 times more than what my digital camera cost me. I, I think I'll say my uh, digital camera one day it can be auctioned at Sotheby's at a great price. It's a collector's camera. It, it is as big as this, and it, got, uh, it cost me about 33,000 rupees when I was living in wow. 5,000. Anyway, that's another story. So uh, I used to drive myself around, and it was a world without Google Maps. I don't think Google had not been invented, and Google had not thought of maps at the time. So, I used to have a big road map. Each state used to publish its road map. So I used to publish, I used to read that. And I was handicapped because I couldn't speak Hindi as fluently as I fancy I do now. Uh, so I had some Canada and Tamil and English, that's it. So how do you yourself? It'll take me all day to talk about those adventures. So I drove myself and I never enjoyed being driven. And I always traveled alone. And uh, because I thought I could rise early in the morning and start driving at about 5.36 and reach another place by about 10 o'clock at 10.30 and get my work done. That sort of a thing. It was a grueling thing, but I enjoyed myself. Come to think of it, uh, I don't think I missed the quadrilateral, the uh, golden quadrilateral, but I'm happy it is here now. It wasn't there then, no. That much harder, that much more fun. And eating at all the dabas on the way, that was a good thing. That was a lot of good experience. That was nice. So what was the longest you ended up uh, driving to and, and where was this? Because you went to Punjab also. There is a story about, uh, uh, you know, the use of natural fertilizers and, and the harmful effects or that the green revolution and the overuse of, pes of pesticides and fertilizers had brought. So I'm assuming, you, you know, that might have been the, the, the longest farthest you went. 
No, I, I didn't drive to Punjab to do that story. By that time, if you notice the deadline, the Punjab story was written almost two years after I uh, stopped regularly updating. It was done somewhere uh -huh. in uh, 12 or 14. I had stopped publishing in 2006, and then I took to my uh, environmental work, and then I had a break for a moment. Then I said, let me resume, but I couldn't continue. I did the Punjab story, but I flew there. By that time, I could afford some money. But uh, the longest I drove was uh, to the borders of Gujarat and close to Rajasthan, and then back, and deep south and went up to Kerala. And uh, I don't think, I, 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 quite honestly, I don't think I should disparage it. I should break. I didn't have the guts to drive through the Hindi heartland because I didn't know enough Hindi to find my way. So I, I did hear Bombay Hindi, I could speak because it was my Marine College training was in Bombay. So I could manage that. So, so I would say the longest was uh, the borders of Gujarat, Rajasthan. And, uh, back, yeah. Maybe have, uh, Maharashtra, Maharashtra was the okay. area. Maharashtra, quite most of my stories in Maharashtra, I drive, I drove around. Yeah. Correct, including the one on Anna Hazare and Rale and uh, Ralegaon Siddhi, right? And I found it hilarious that uh, you know one of the ways in which Anna Hazare. Uh, got people to give up or the husbands to give up drinking was to actually have them thrashed in public. Yeah. <laughs> there was a pole in the middle of the town that they used to tie up the drunkard and had him mocked by the people. So I thought that was really clever. And later on, of course, the liberal folk criticized him as being a uh, Hindu uh, chauvinist and all that of the height of a spade. The poor man, they took him right up there and they dropped him. I felt sorry for him, he lost his way, yeah. But he can't take away from his life's work, the restoration of the village. It is a fantastic. Absolutely. He will live in my history as an environmental pioneer. And, you know, you uh, uh, there are a few accounts there which have a very interesting title like the one uh, I think that says uh, the title of the chapter is so that the Gandhi may not be born again and when I saw that title I said uh -huh, maybe there is a making of a controversy there I can pick it up and I can make a, something out of it in social media but it turned out you were actually talking about uh, the the Sulab revolution. Yeah uh, well I mean now that you say that I remember years picking up and there are uh, appetite whetted, but uh, I must uh, disappoint you and confess. Uh, Gandhi kept popping up everywhere wherever I did the story. You know, that generation, where, which had directly experienced Gandhi's uh, magic, it was at the time. I am a contemporary of Gandhi by about five years, uh, so I would know he was alive. Uh, he suffered the revisionism that history. Uh, keeps upon everybody, so he is no exception. Uh, okay. So God, no exception to that. And like all people, they all must feel uh, the constructed autobiographies and the hagiographies about them to be revised. That will happen to everybody. So, but if you, no man is one piece. I think every man is some of ten parts. Say. In my book, Gandhi's goes six and above, still does. And those four, we can rule the, the follies of his in the history. 
I can't take away from the man. Uh, uh, that's I feel. And uh, the worst hagiography of Gandhi was done by Attenborough, that film. So he sort of immortalized him in a kind of a incontestable way. But he must be contested. But he cannot be denied his place. That's what I feel. Yeah. Correct. I, I tend to kind of, you know agree with that in the sense that uh, I think part of the reactions or part of the of of the you know the bitter criticism of Mahatma Gandhi tends to be more driven or at least in part driven by the hagiographies that one tends to read and the uncritical praise that is heaped on the man, and I think part of the of the uh, you know of the criticism is driven by that. But of course he was a you know in 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 uh, however one looks at him. He was a great man of his times, and uh, it uh, must not be—he must not be denied his due. Uh, and I think a more, uh, uh, you know, rational appraisal of that man will happen maybe in the coming decades. But nonetheless, uh, you also talked about, uh, you know, how uh, you were perhaps the first one to put out on the net uh, the story, you know, the very, very inspiring story of Thimakka. And then uh, I think it was last year or the year before that, 2019, I think that she was uh, honored with a Padma Shri. And there's a very touching photograph of uh, her blessing the president, uh, you know, uh, on, on by placing her hand on his uh, forehead. But uh, uh, you said that uh, one of the photos that you had taken and put up was actually used when the when when the government announced uh, this award right yeah that's my takeaway from it i felt very proud and so also uh, mr girish bharadwaj who got uh, the publishery uh, in the next year the year following and uh, to announce him also the photograph i had taken was used which is very nice i felt good so I didn't uh, discover them, but uh, I put them on the front page, I would say. They were the right. inner page, they were put them on the front page. And Timaka has been discussed by me enough, so I'll just pass her now. She is a renowned person uh, with a, a small footnote. I, I ended my story by appealing to people. I had a big uh, readership in America among the non-resident Indians, young Indians studying there. Used to be starved for good news. So they all used to be, I had about 6,000 people without any advertising on my mailing list oh. alone, and uh, plus a lot of footfalls. So I was famous for a while. <laughs> and uh, so I told them, why don't you follow and come together, people from Karnataka, and have the road named after her in Chikana. And they formed a fan club when the road got named. I, I, I believe it's still named, unless it's uh, some other politician who. Rules over the road. I don't know. <clears throat> so I want to ask about a lot of other things, but I will. Uh, I before I, you know, uh, move on. Uh, of all the stories, if you had to pick one that has been or that was the most uplifting and 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 left you with a huge amount of positivity, and one story that left you incredibly saddened, even though it may have been a, you know an account of a person doing some good work, but it left you feeling, you know, sad. You want to share one of each? Yeah, I, I will talk about a person I have not talked about uh, in some of the. Uh, interviews that I have given. Timaka, of course, has featured in almost every one of them, and I've written about, I've spoken about Punjab. There's one person I do want to mention, and it came about in an entirely different way. Uh, 
he was not a person I interviewed personally because for a good reason he had died by the time I got to write uh, read his, uh, uh, he had died by the time I got to write that story. It happened like this. That Good News India was about two years into publication. I had a mail from a gentleman called Mr. Atreya. And uh, he was already 75 or uh, close to 80. And he said, I'm so delighted that you started uh, doing this uh, thing. And I used to run something like that about 10 years ago and I gave up. And uh, it was in the print. He had to physically print it. There was no internet at this time. So I, would, I think it was called Resilience. That was the name of the little booklet that he published once in a while. He says, I want to give you my collection of my resilience when I meet you. And the good gentleman showed up in Chennai uh, one day and uh, I met him in a hotel. He was a business consultant who actually had imagined that some of the good about India should be put out. So in a way he was my forerunner who I did not know until then. So he gave me a copy of all the old magazines called Resilience. So I flipped through all of them and there's one story that stood out and moved me nearly to tears. It is a postman called Nanda Kishore Singh Thakur. And this man was, had fought with the British army in the First World War. He was a, wow. just a sepoy. I think he was just a sepoy. So after the war and after he was defrocked and sent home, he became a postman in Bombay. So he used to deliver the post door by door, door to door. Right. And this gentleman hailed from Bihar. And uh, he got into his head that he wanted to start a school. So this they used to call him Jairamji's. So because he used to wish everybody Jairanji. So they used to call him, I think, Jairanji. I think I'm just recollecting from my story. I haven't reread it, the details. You must read it. So this went, went around on a circuit, asked the people, I want to start a little school because there's no Hindi school, that there's nobody there. So there was a tiny plot where the hut stood in Dakopa, I think it was of 1940 or 40. Maybe even earlier, 1937 or so. So he started a school in a hut. He put a teacher and he called the children to start. And it slowly grew, slowly grew. Let me fast forward the story. And eventually he used to get the Diwali Bakshis from all his uh, uh, residents who he delivered mail. He invested it in that, in the school. He built that brick by brick. He built classroom by classroom. And it was called the Ghatkopa Hindi School. All right. So then he said, I'm going to make this a college. By the time he was going to, about to be retired, he took to be an LIC insurance agent. And he pushed his policies by saying that his premium will be spent on raising this college. And that this man was so enterprising. He was a high school dropout of the army sepoy who was a postman. Just imagine. Amazing. To give out Hindu from Uttar Pradesh somewhere, the details are there. And then he went and approached Prithviraj Kapoor in uh, Bombay theaters, I think, I don't know what they call. Uh, he had a drama. Yeah, right. So he asked them to stage a drama for him. 
and give the proceeds for the school, for the college. And Prithiraj Kapoor obliged. And he took the money and he built the college after he never, as soon as he had the money, he began construction. He didn't know whether he had enough or not. And then he completed the, uh, uh, nearly completed the college. And as usual, he used to like every year, he ran short of funds. When he approached, a businessman came and said, he will take the money as long as the college was named after him, that is the businessman. Mm. Which was what broke me when I read that story. But look at this. Uh, Nandikeshwar Singh uh, Thakur, he said, by all means, let the college come up. He's my hero. Amazing. And, uh, the uh, people from Bombay, they know about a college called the Junjunwala College in Ghatkopa. Oh my God. Remember, the first brick was laid by a police postman called Nandikishore Singh Thakur, who fought with the Allied forces in the First World War. He began that building and it was named in the very last mile. This story moves me at many levels. I won't go into that. So I would urge everyone to read it. And then, it, I, by that time I had resolved, I'll never verify a story without, uh, I'll never publish a story without verification. But I had this resilient story. And this had been put out by the dark Patrika. It was used to be published by the Post and Telegraph Department. So somehow I never trusted the government establishment and the shout. I wanted to know whether the school was still there. Right. So I had a couple of student volunteers uh, stepped out and they said they'll discover. I said, I want a photograph of that man. I couldn't find a photograph of him anywhere. And uh, finally, one day a student said, found out at the Jinjinwala College that used to be uh, Dr. Kishore thing. So he went there and he said, there's a crazy man in Chennai who wants to write about it. He wants to make sure that this college was the one that Thakur uh, Nandi uh, Kishore started. And the principal, I think he is, but come here, she took him to the hall. There was in one corner, dust covered, a photograph of Dr. Kishore Singh hanging on the wall. Wow. So this boy, this lad, I think I acknowledge him in the story. Uh, he took a picture and he sent it to me and confirmed that my story was true. So if there are any modern day journalists uh, reading and who put out that pressure of time, I want them to note my diligence in publishing a story. So I did <laughs> a lot of pains over the accuracy of my stories. I, I think, uh, uh, anyway, let me not disparage the people who are working hard now. But that story is uh, very pleasing for me. Finally, I think I gave him a place. He can be searchable on the internet. So Nanda Kishore Singh lives on, but although you didn't ask. Let me tell you what he did after the time. He handed over the school and went to UP and started doing what he was good at, start a school. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's in, uh, uh, I forget the name of the district in uh, Etowah, Etowah district is there. Uh, ah, okay. Etowah, uh, the man. Etowah, yeah, right. And I think he will be remembered there if someone really wanted to. You periodically keep disappearing 
I, I don't know whether it's just approval, but. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm having, um, I have my own confession. I'm taking sips of coffee. I don't want to, you know, everyone to see me take sips of coffee. So I slide my webcam, uh, uh, you know, shutter off. All and right. then take a sip of coffee and then I switch it on back. <laughs> no, my <clears throat> so well, that's my favorite story, really, if I have to pick. Yeah. It has to be. It it has to be. It is uh, it is such an amazing uh, account. Uh I have to ask you one thing now. Now it is, I think, absolutely important that uh, you know this be put out in a book form because while uh you know things on the internet, they, they do reach far and wide, but I think for some sort of permanence, it is important to put it out in a book. And that leads me to two questions. The first one is, uh, this has been published by Bloomsbury India, and I think they're doing a fantastic job of, of uh, uh, putting out so many you know uh, stories. Unsung Valor, for example, came out a few months back. That was also published by Bloomsbury India, and uh, Vivek Agnihotri's Hukal Shastri was published by Bloomsbury India. However, there was a certain controversy that erupted uh, in, in the second half of 2020 and that uh, uh, led to a lot of angst and, and, and outrage and criticism of the publisher. So my question is, when the time came for you to find a publisher, was Bloomsbury your first choice, your last choice? And how did the, the two, you, you know, you and the publisher come together? I must go back a bit. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked me because it's been in the heart. It's been weighing on me. So I'm glad I had the opportunity to explain myself. The book came about because of uh, the Epic Academy in which uh, we both know. We're all members of that. So the um, put down a little hurricane in Badlamani started the Center for Indic Writers, if you remember. Right. Actor for that was uh, Dipple Cole, and you of know, course. there's no one who know, doesn't know Dipple Cole. She is an irrepressible dynamo of work. So she kept rapidly the job, and she published quite a few books, quite rapid, uh, uh, you know, rapid fire. And she used to button old people. And some of the internet fans, like Kanchala, the Kanchala for the famous handle, she and published. I... Then <clears throat> So she, uh, she published him and then she came around. She kept asking me throughout, uh, BBG, you must write a book, you must write a book. So, well, I said, I've done all the writing I need to do. I'm not writing a book. So book was something else. It's some of that thing is way above me. I was not going to, it was above my weight. I couldn't punch that uh, level. So I left it at that, but she was so persistent. After about six months or seven months, I said, now listen, I have my work, I can't write. But I'll tell you what, I have written a lot in Good News uh, India website. If someone would publish uh, that as an anthology, I'm willing to write a prologue and an epilogue and have it published. So that's all I can do. So I can't think of a, I, I'm not that uh, motivated or gifted as an author to conceive a book and write it. I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with that, but please continue. Yeah. So, uh, believe it or not, she came back in a couple of uh, months, uh, uh, six weeks, I think. DVG, I have a publisher. And uh, she had pitched the story proposal to them. I had not interacted with them. 
And Bloomsbury India thought it fit uh, to publish an anthology about it. So I'm ever grateful for that to recognize the story. And I'm hugely, immensely grateful that they published me. And I had a wonderful time working with them. But about, uh, I was asked to keep it in confidence and uh, I was asked to not speak about it. So it remained between me and Dimple. Uh, so the book was in the progress and uh, I went into the world of publishing. So I was a New York editor was put to review me and that was a uh, uh, feeling good. I had arrived sort of feeling. So about three or four months down the line, the episode that we are referring to, the daily riots of the books published. And you know my opinions and uh, I am on the internet and my opinions are there for anyone to see. I write as a straws of the wind. <clears throat> I'm an unabashed uh, uh, foe of the huge thing. I won't call it liberals or second. The word doesn't fit. It's a misnomer. The liberal word liberal is misplaced on them. So it's a huge conglomerate of people. It's a huge amorphous mob. And it came, so I used to be fighting then. So when this book was pulped, uh, 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 the book that's published, almost on the day it was being released, and it was pulped, I was crushed. I was heartbroken. And then I was in a quandary. I was four months into the preparation, four or even more into the preparation, and I had hugely enjoyed that work. There was also, let me not disguise that thing, there was also that uh, personal desire and uh, that I want to be published by Bloomsbury, which until the other day was a brand name. And yet I was hugely conflicted. I spent quite a lot of time agonizing over it, whether I was going to pursue or not. And then certain things became clear after one or two days. And I realized that Bloomsbury did publish two versions of the Delhi Rats on both sides of the aisle. There's one published from one point of view, and there was another that was published from another point of view. That the Indian Hindu point of view was the one that was but pulped. The other one lived on, if I got my facts right. Right. So I said their first intention was to publish both and have the people judge. I thought that was a fair decision. If there were two sides to the story, a particular author is not likely to present both stories. The topic is so controversial. You're not likely to be fair-minded and write both sides, uh, the, uh, justice from that side and justice from that, justification from this side and justification from the other side. They're not unlikely. I thought they did the right thing by having two books published. So what made them pulp one and not two? That would have been the best decision. But then the, I realized that uh, I hope I'm not walking into a controversy. I don't, uh, and it's not, it's just not mine. But I somehow felt that it was not a decision made in Delhi. <clears throat> that Delhi, until the last moment, they had not recommended this pulping. They had, it, it had seen the light of day. It had been printed ready for circulation. Nobody would spend that money if it, they did have the intention to do it. So I went by that intention. And, uh, in the meantime, some of my good friends had uh, walked out on uh, you know, Bloomsbury, and some of them surrendered their uh, advances too. I really was admiring of them, and I still admire them. I, in their eyes, I might have let them down a little bit. So 
after 10 days or so, then I also thought, I consulted one or two people who, with some experience in publishing. So they said, first of all, you know, please remember who you are. Uh, you're a small guy in the publishing world. You're not a star, you're not a big name. It doesn't matter whether you got published or not. So don't, don't take this decision because your good friends are doing it. Stay. So I stayed. So these are the uh, reasons I stayed. And over a time, I put out in a little note to be circulated among my friends, explaining why I did what I did. And uh, I hope it suffices, but uh, I must conclude this episode with another round of thanks to Bloomsbury. They had been wonderful to me, and we never discussed this matter at all. It was never spoken. I'm coming out on it for the first time. And, uh, and I want Bloomsbury to understand that I am quite uh, in debt to them for having published me. And I had wonderful reactions with them from Tatane. I want to make one thing clear. I have not received any advance, uh, nor had I advanced to return. So it was no monetary sacrifice of, uh, that I feared that I might have to. So it was not that. It is an objective decision that I came to after about 10 or 15 years of agonizing. And I'm glad I did. They did a wonderful job of the book. And they were helpful throughout. And I don't want to name them singly on this. And there was a team that worked with me. It is, I am a newbie author. They did very handsomely by me. And they produced the book. But for the internet, I mean, but for the COVID uh, coming through, they had good marketing plans. As it is, it's only online. So uh, that's it. I really uh, am grateful that you asked me. And I made a clean breast of it. So this is exactly what I happened. And another thing that I do want to mention, one of the pieces of advice I got was, I want to leave this with others. It's a mm -hmm. war out there, all right? Call it the right wing or the left wing, but I call it the right wing or the wrong wing, all right? So the right wing and the wrong wing are in a war. So you don't abdicate your assets. If you got a foothold in some territory, you don't question the nature of the territory, you hold it. I think this is a strategic mistake we are all making. And this, the wrong wing, doesn't make that mistake, you see. They will take you a branded loyalist tomorrow if he's willing to change his shirt, they will have it. So yes, don't, it's a war. Yeah. So I would say, you fight the war, Arjuna and the I he aimed for. So that's what you got to be. So you don't say, what did, what did the, the Churchill say? I'm willing to shake hands with the devil if it will serve my purpose. That was Churchill and his extreme sense of expediency. Then when he made up a Stalin to fight Hitler, that's what he said. But he was a a different man. Let's not go there and discuss it. I have a few things. <laughs> but he did say that. So, you know, war and Mahabharata, you're a Mahabharata fan. And finally, what does Krishna say? Above all, Dharma must prevail. So you, you do that, whatever it takes. So you organize all the ends and means, but you go on to fight the war. 
So no, very, I, very true. Against uh, abandoning uh, uh, area which you can use to your advantage in a war, not in a personal sense. In a personal sense, the ethics might outweigh it, but in a war. Yeah. Very. Thank you for you know elaborating so much on that, DVG, because uh, from time to time, there are people who express surprise, anger, even outrage as to why uh, you know, people they see as leaning right wing have published with Bloomsbury after that fracas over the pulping of the book. And I think it's important for someone who, like you, who went through the publishing process with Bloomsbury, who was in the middle of it when this, uh, when this controversy broke out and chose to publish with Bloomsbury, come out and say why. I think it's important to, to hear from someone who went through that entire uh, process. So thank you for sharing that. Now, you, 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 you said the Mahabharata and I, I have to, uh, I can't move to the next question without uh, quoting something from the good book, which is, uh, uh, it is, uh, so I, I'm somewhat inarticulately quoting a line uh, from the Mahabharata, I may have got it wrong, but it says uh, there are two kinds of people who must forgive. Uh, or it says then that there are, no, sorry, there are two thorns that dry up the, the human body. One is desire and hunger in the weak, uh, in the poor, and anger in the weak. And I think uh, a lot of us on the right side uh, you know, fall to the to to uh, you know fall to the temptation of giving into anger, where it cannot really help anyone in any way. And I think that's uh, something that you've very you know nicely articulated that uh, one should have uh, one's eye on the longer aim and goal. So very well taken. Uh, a somewhat related question, and you've kind of covered on it, but I still want to ask, uh, put it out as a separate question, which is, in the age of social media, where everyone can put out their thoughts, the blogs are there for, you know, long form expression of thought and writing. Why books? Why should, you know, people read books? Why should authors write books when the medium of the net allows for a much more immediate transmission of thought to words? Yeah, that, that's a good question that uh, makes me wonder. I, I, I want to, uh, I was examining recently whether the social media powerful as it is, is it such a huge part? Well, I, I, I come to the conclusion it's not such an extraordinary power that it's made out. It is. Uh, it has the virtue of giving space to both sides. Uh, it depends on which side dominates the space. That's the race now. It is a republic. There's no doubt. It's a territory that's open to everybody when you use it. But there is something about the written, printed word and which comes out in the form of a book. That, I've, I've been a lifelong uh, 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 in love with the book. I always enjoyed the physical book. Increasingly, the internet has ruined me. I don't read as much on paper, and I'm also slowing down at my age. But 
books, holding a book and being immersed in it and having a communion with the author, which is what happens. You listen to the author and you internalize him and the time spent at sea, the books were my companions, companions. I used to have two trunks, one my ear and the other one was full of books. They went from ship to ship and I used to come and pack it at home and refill them. So books have kind of a weight that the rest of the things don't have. Almost the other things that your blogs that you write and the articles you put out or the low end of it, the tweets you put out, they all have very small lives. A book endures. And uh, I'll give you a small example. I don't know how much time I have, if, if I can elaborate. No, please, please. Go ahead. I'm uh, recently, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was uh, trying to recollect something from my childhood. And I wanted some subs uh, substantiation of what I remembered to verify. I went to the internet, of course, the powerful internet, which is I'm grateful for. It's an enormous tool. It's a wonderful tool. I searched. I found out a travelogue written in 1830 by a man, Yangula Virasani. He wrote about a, it's a, a book is called the Kashi Yatra Charitra, written in Telugu and it has now been published in English uh, by the Andhra Pradesh government. It details a Kashi Yatra undertaken in the 1830s. So this is fascinating. That's not the story. That's not the story. I'm saying this book lives on. It's a book, it's 280 page book. It's a free download for rare books. That book lives on. So I have a thing about books. Books are done. I had some mystical experiences with books. Uh, once I was walking the aisles in Higginbotham's bookshop in Chennai. It is a heritage landmark it used to be. The only place where you could get books from abroad, everywhere. A book, you got to believe me, Abhira, a book leapt out of a shelf and came into my hands. Wow. We, uh, I have to ask, which book? <laughs> it's, so to speak. I'm given to hyperbole and imagination and uh, uh, exaggerated. Well, take it, make it understand what it means. A book happens to you, happens to you at the right time. And it was the right time for me. It is a, not, it, it, the book is in several prints. It's called Secret Life of Plants. That changed me. Ah, then, okay. That, uh, uh, that's in the seventh print or something like that. Books have a way of having their own lives. And they sit in your bookshelf and I have a collection. Not all of them, I have not read all of them. They have been collected over a period of time and they come to help me whenever I need. And this is the role that books play. Let me give you the uh, example of three books that I kept aside to show you in fact. In fact, uh, I have to tell you, uh, I, I can recognize at least two books from there. One is uh, Minakshi Jain's uh, The Flight of Deities that I can make out on the bottom shelf. And in the middle shelf, I think I can make out uh, Rajiv Malhotra's The Battle for Sanskrit. Now, these are books which will come and talk to you when you need to be talked to. With that, uh, I will add the Dulipalas, the Creating the New Medina. I bought that copy. I must confess the three books that I'm going to name in quick succession, I have not read in the entirety. One is Dulipala, and that is Srikant Talagiri's retort to uh, Tony Joseph. And the third 
is Bishwa uh, Adluri's Science. Ah. Right. These three books, I have not read them from cover to cover, but I've read enough to know what it means. And that is what books do in your life. You read a book in childhood, you flip through, you forget. And then 20 years later, some pages from there come and talk to you. I can remember some of the passages that I've read in the book, but I cannot read the entire book. I'll remember a book, but just one poem in carry. So the books are your lifesavers when the time comes. Like Miyachi Jane, she's one of the living treasures that we have. The book she writes, see, I would say Raju Malhotra is extreme high-end journalism, I would say. It's a highly researched books, and they will live on. But the books that I mentioned, who is going to read the, it's not a, I don't know how well it's sold, that Dulipala's created New Madina. It is so well researched, so much work has gone into it, so well annotated. You can put a pin through its arguments. You can't contest a fact. And these books are not something that you remember. These are the books that you reach out. Exactly. And Absolutely. And comes. And that's what young people must remember, why books must be treasured. And just buy them, even if you don't read them now. Just buy them for the the treasure they will eventually become. I have a copy of the whole Earth catalog, which is that big. I put it, I bought it in San Francisco and brought it in my ship, but I still hold it. I keep it under lock and key because I want to hold it. That is the, I think, is the forerunner of the internet. And that began the age of Aquarius. And it pushed the post-Vietnam war dissenters and all to go back to the ground and started back to the land movement. I think I will gift a copy to Greta Thunberg so that she can read when she grows up what the environmentalists did in, in, in my generation. So World Earth Catalog was one such book. So books, I must say, you must have an enduring affair with them, collect them, treasure them, keep them, and dip into them, and they'll be your friends when the times are hard and the times are lost. I Sorry, I, 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 I agree with you. No, no, this is fascinating. I agree with you 100%. I, you know, when you, what you talked about, uh, the importance of having books on your bookshelf, even if you have not read some or many of them, because books that you have read represent experiences and books that are still to be read represent opportunities. So I think, uh, uh, that is uh, something that I'll wholeheartedly endorse. Uh, you know, buy books, read books, talk about books, share books, discuss books, celebrate with books. That is a much better use of time, memories, experience, and, and money than uh, many other things. And uh, before I move to the Q&A, I want to say this once more, that uh, uh, folks, this is, uh, you know, you see it on... Uh, on, on my webcam window itself, that's the book, Good News India. And uh, it's been written by D.V. Sridharan. And it's a story of ordinary Indians and their extraordinary triumphs published by Bloomsbury India, available in paperback as well as uh, in an ebook format. You can buy it from uh, Flipkart, Amazon, and other stores, and uh, even bookstores as and when they open up in your area, uh, in your place. So please do buy the book, read it, rate it, review it, talk about it, 
put out a post on Twitter or, or Facebook, put out a review on Goodreads, because for most authors, please remember that it is when you, people like you talk about and discuss these books that more people come to know about it. Uh, the, the process of spreading word about books doesn't happen out of thin air. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's people like you who make these good books that need to be read and talked about uh, possible. Uh, I will turn to a few questions that we have. So I'll read out a couple of comments. So Ranjit uh, says, uh, uh, he says, you know, great command over the language and fantastic diction. So good to just listen. And I, uh, have to, you know, I, it, it is. And I have to say one more thing. In your prologue, that in itself, I think, is is worth the, the price of the book itself. Like you write with a felicity and uh, I could imagine I felt I was sitting in that compartment uh, in the, uh, you know, did the train get down? Uh, you got down Bilaspur, right? Or you got on at Bilaspur. And the journey that you describe, it's like... Uh, listening to or reading maybe a Ruskin Bond or an R.K. Narayan. It, it, I don't have the words to describe the, the, you know, it's like an experience just reading that passage. So I'll say you have another calling in your DVG. You need to write maybe a nice fiction that just is a train journey. I'll, I'll want to read a book that you write that is, even if it is nothing more than describing a train journey and the occupants in it and, and listening to their, uh, to their lives. I, I do believe in rebirth uh, thing, uh, Abhinav, so I'll come back. Okay, so that's uh, you know next month we'll we'll have, we'll have we'll have a whole cat catalog of uh, books uh, for you to write. But uh, I'm talking about this life. Uh, there are uh, one question has come in, come in from Triti Malak, and she asks, uh, I, I'm assuming it's, it's a lady. I want to know why the website was named Good News India. Oh, there was a, a moment of impishness and a, a, a bit of slight mischief uh, there. So I, I, I began by saying, why don't we hear this good news in, uh, in the newspapers, but I don't read them, but the, there must be such a lot of good news happening around. So I wanted to put, I was searching for a name and uh, I stayed in a hotel and uh, there was a copy by the uh, table by my bed. It said the good news Bible, it said. And, uh, and I said, uh, wait a minute, I found another source of good news, and that's India. So I said, uh, let it be good news, India. So that is the moment of my epiphany. And uh, I have nothing as a Bible. It's, it's good for, it's an excellent reading. But uh, I don't know why uh, W.H. Orrin once, once he said, thou shalt not be in friendly terms with those that read the Bible for its prose, he said. So I don't think that... Uh, I could get beyond the prose of it, but uh, I like the prose. So anyway, Good News India was inspired by the book that I found at my table in the bed, by the bed. Fascinating, fascinating. So PK has another, uh, he has a question and he says, Mr. Sridharan, congratulations on the publication of your book. I discovered your website and your fascinating Good News stories, maybe in 2002. Thank you for highlighting the unknown yet vibrant lives and achievements of Indians. I wrote to you and had an enjoyable visit with you in Chennai 
in April 2004 with my father and my toddler daughter. Meeting you and experiencing your buoyant personality was a lasting inspiration for me. Best wishes. That's so nice of PK to have shared this. Who is this person? Can I know the name? Uh, it just says PK, just the initials PK. Oh, I don't know. I'm so grateful that that person remembers that. Is it. And uh, if I got the uh, name, I would be able to recall. Uh, I'm so delighted to hear that. <laughs> so I did uh, keep thinking when I stopped publishing Good News India uh, regularly in 2000. I still own the domain name. It's still mine. I don't maintain it much. I don't publish it. But I used to keep getting mail from people with, so why did you stop publishing? We used to be uh, waiting for your stories and please resume and things like that. I do wish that somebody else would resume. But DD News has got a, a slot called Good News India without so much as a need by me. So they're appropriate, but that's good. They're putting on, they're doing good work. I think there are a lot of sites now who are focusing on good news. If I may boast, and I would just rather, I would rather assert that I pioneered the genre of just only good news, not even cricket, cinema, or politics, believe it or not. So that was the first website. I had two minutes of fame, not two minutes, maybe 20 seconds of fame on BBC Click which noted it for its unusualness. So I had my moments of fame. So and I have friends who write in and uh, mention this. I'm very touched by that, uh, mentioned by that viewer. Thank you, viewer. And uh, yes, and PK, she is, uh, has written just a, a minute back that uh, my name is Pramila. Oh. And she visited uh, you in Chennai in April 2004 with her father and her toddler daughter. That's 17 years uh, back. Yeah, I, I will. I, it'll come to me in a few minutes. I mean, at my age, this things strike back. <laughs> I would like her to write to me and refresh it if, if it's possible. I'm at gwithsridharandv at gmail.com. I would like to re renew my acquaintance and uh, refresh that visit. Thank you. I have one uh, question, and this is more on writing. So, uh, now obviously, you know, we all have heard you over the last one hour or so that you have an impeccable, uh, you know, command of the language and uh, your diction and everything is fabulous. But your style of writing is something that I would love to be able to write with the same kind of. Uh, uh, you know, earthiness. So my question to you and to everyone for, uh, you know, who's interested at, in the book club on this, what are your suggestions if you had to recommend maybe some books that have stayed with you, books you would recommend, uh, and if anything on, on what would you suggest to aspiring writers, uh, you know, here is a go read this person, do this thing, or what would your advice be? Well, I don't think I'm uh, competent as a, a mentor or, or a writing coach, but I can only share uh, how I write or uh, what made me write uh, or made me do. I'm soaked to the uh, modernist English writers. Uh, I used to like the way of uh, their way of writing. Uh, Grant Green, J.B. Priestley, Somerset Maugham, A.J. Cronin. I come from that vintage. So like all fans who mimic their heroes, I used to try and want to write like them. 
And I'm very disappointed just now uh, in the recent time that New Yorker has fallen into bias, which is, it was not used to. I used to be very fond of the New Yorker. The long form writing in New Yorker used to fascinate me. And almost every piece, maybe it was run about six or seven pages of uh, New Yorker a magazine. Right. And all wonderful things. And I used to write it because John of Dyke used to publish it and uh, publishing it. Uh, it is a, a great literary treasure. I, I used to be, I used to long to be published in the New Yorker someday if I had something. So that kind of a passion is what forms your style and your approach. From the New Yorker, I realized, I don't know whether it holds good now. I'm slightly suspicious it doesn't hold good. The diligence of facts, you know. And uh, I was once uh, published by the Reader's Digest. And uh, somebody came and interviewed me, and uh, I gave some more facts. And for about a, for about ten days after the writer had submitted the, the copy, I kept getting calls from readers' digest to check whether a particular fact was right. Did I get a year right? Is this claim right? They went through such care that impressed me. I saw the work behind what goes on in diligent uh, writing and fact checking. So. New Yorker used to have that uh, thing. So that influenced me. That was my role model. Even now, I think if people have the discrimination to filter out what is propaganda, which I think New Yorker is succumbing to now, its objective articles are still well worth reading because they are extremely well written, fine writers in English. And I came to read American English much later than from English English writers because the prejudice that the Raj had ingrained in me, that the correct English is to be written and spoken in the way the Raj people spoke. <laughs> so we were all part of that vintage generation and we paid a heavy price. We missed out on the French, we missed out on the Russian authors, and we missed out on the American authors, which are the Englishmen's cousins in English. And I am very fond of the way the Americans write now. I mean, I, I re keep reading back, and you can't write better than Hemingway, you know. Uh, so, uh, so we miss out. So read from a wide variety, and don't miss the Russian authors. They are extraordinary. Chekhov, Dostoevsky, storytelling is a, a, a masterpiece. Uh, they're excellent. So, from your reading comes your writing style. You got to read a lot, and you will mimic some people. I mimic some people's prose when I set out to write. I don't mimic, I don't open the book and I say, I'll mimic this paragraph. That would be plagiarism or one, one, one place removed. I don't do that. But I draw inspiration from passages uh, that uh, I enjoy reading. And then I get into the writing mood. And then I don't write enough, but I should. I enjoy writing. It's talking to myself in a way that yes. I would approve. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, you mentioned New Yorker, and I will recommend to people there is a long form article in the New Yorker that's probably at least five or 10 years old. It's about five to six, 7,000 words long. It's uh, written by Dr. Atul Gawande, and uh, the title of yeah. that article is The Itch. Well, Atul Gawande uh, was a regular contributor to New Yorker. Yes. And who made medicine cross its specialist 
world and entered the threshold of the unknown, you know? And uh, he's a brilliant writer to read. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you mentioned New Yorkers. So I think that's one article that came to mind. So, DVG, in conclusion, I want to thank you once again for taking the time and uh, walking us through, uh, uh, you know, walking us through the entire journey of, uh, you know, several decades and also some of the, you know, the, the stories behind the stories, I think, were equally fascinating. And in uh, before we close, I want to uh, leave, you know hand it over to you for any last words. No, I um, I, I want to recollect something uh, I wrote uh, in one of the stories. It is about a lady called Anuradha Bakshi. She is in Delhi even now, and she runs an organization called Project Y, and. Uh, she caters to the after-school education of thousands of children in Delhi, but that's not the story. Something that she uh, uh, wrote there, uh, I wrote uh, after interviewing her, uh, taking down, downloading her life and her write. I, I spent a lot of time talking to the authors. I don't finish with the author until I get the aha moment that changed them. And then when I was writing, one thing that struck me, she was raised in Mauritius where her father was a Mauritian citizen. And uh, when at India's freedom, at uh, Panditji Jawaharlal Nehru's uh, asking, he took Indian citizenship and became an ambassador. So she learned to speak French and she, her father had, was born in uh, Mauritius and she was raised in Mauritius and lived in embassies around the world and all that. And uh, then finally, the whole family moved in Delhi and she took to the social work. But I think we lost DB again. So folks, I think I'm going to stop here uh, and we'll uh, uh, you know, cut out the parts where we had the AV issues, the internet issues and upload this up on YouTube in a couple of days. I want to thank you all for joining in this Saturday night and uh, to, the, to DVG especially. Uh, that's it from, uh, from me, folks. Uh, have a good day. Bye.